1: Hello everyone and welcome along to the Rangers Rabble podcast and um, we may be in the midst of a winter break uh, but the content doesn't stop here on the Rabble. We still want to bring you um, some analysis of all things going on in Rangers and also something slightly different tonight. We thought we would do a bit of a mid-season review, uh, a bit of a, uh, a scorecard in terms of what's happened so far this season and um, the, the gents with me this evening, they might look at it, they've maybe drawn the short straw, but actually I think this is maybe the interesting show because we're we're going to split this in two. So we're going to take you through uh, from the start of the season up until when Michael Beale left the club. Um, and then I believe later this week, Martin and some of the chaps will come on and uh, talk about uh, the time from when Philippe Clement has come in and... Probably look ahead in terms of the rest of the transfer window and what their hopes are for the rest of the evening. Um, joining me this evening, um, I as Connor. Connor, how's things fresh from quiz <laughs> duty last night?
2: Yes, well, much much like the Michael Beale you know, era, I've, I've, I've tried to put that behind me now. Um, you know, but you just yeah. learn. Are you learning from? You've got to learn from those experiences. Yeah, you know, stuff, really be, I mean? be, I'll be better the next time. You know what I mean? I'll go away and learn the lessons by doing precisely nothing at all. Um, and I'll just hope I'll be better next time. So, um, yeah, very much the real treatment for me. Um, nah, listen, it was a good laugh. I might have had a few faux pas, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm hoping that I'll have a, a better showing this evening. sure you will. I'm sure you will. Um, Richie, how are we?
3: Yeah, all oh good. Thanks, Stuart. Yeah, not so sure that I'm looking forward to this Beal Ball review. And I am in some ways, but yeah, who... Who doesn't like a good old kick in the bollocks from time to time? So, yeah, we'll see how that exactly. works out. Exactly, in t- exactly. In terms of the uh, quiz, like, I, I didn't do too much better, kind of playing from home. So, yeah, fair play to you.
1: Yeah, it takes a bit of guts to put yourself in front uh, of the camera that for a quiz night. Uh, and finally, uh, Wolf, how are we?
0: I'm fine, Stuart, thanks. I'm not mentioning the quiz because I'll probably be on it this coming Sunday. So, I'm not saying anything because... <laughs> I'll probably have a brain fart as soon as it starts, and I'll I'll probably any answer I don't know the answer will be Rod Wallace. So, yeah. <laughs> without, without any question. So,
1: uh, yeah, probably safer to do that. Well, um, okay then. Before we get into the the kind of uh, the, the half season review, then um we we'll just touch on some of the kind of stories that are kind of floating about uh at, at the moment, and in particular the. What seems to be the kind of growing momentum corner that uh, Red Van Yilmaz is is probably going to be on his way. Uh, looks as if he's, if the rumors are to be believed, and let's like say they are growing, is that he's, he's he's on his way to Italy. What's your thoughts on that? Is it is it smart because he's a sellable asset and it might allow the manager to kind of do some things, or are we potentially losing someone that we were just starting to see what he's capable of?
2: Um, well, it depends. I mean, if we get a decent enough fee for them, and you know like the figures I'm seeing, banding about kind of ranging for sort of forty-six million, I think's the kind of the ballpark figure we're looking at. Of course, the part of the issue we've got is, I believe that Basictus have got a twenty percent sell-on clause. Um, that they will obviously have to receive some cash from as well. So, I mean, yeah, it's. I'd prefer. If we were able to keep him, because I do think we've seen sparks from him this season of what he's capable of, and I think you know we'd probably all agree that with the way that Bonner's been playing in, to, to the point that Greg Guthrie's made there, you know if if you'd given us the choice about which one we'd rather have kept, it would have been Yilmaz all day long because you feel as if Borna's kind of passed, you know, his peak really um, at, at, at Rangers, whereas Yilmaz I feel. Not always, because he's, you know, he's had some bad games here or there. But, you know, in in the main, he's been a breath of fresh air when he's come in and started games. Um, He's had that real energy down that left-hand side that we're not getting so much out of Barisic. I mean, I think the only time I see him take on a player and and beat him and, and, you know, to get a goal was in the... Oh, I can't remember. Was it Johnston' game? I think it might have been for the second goal when he, he crosses it in the box. Cup final as well. I think it was the cup final. Yeah, game. sorry. Yeah, the cup final. That was exactly the one. You're absolutely right. The cup final when he he done that. You know, so he's he's lost that. You know, real. I don't think he's lost the ability. I think he's just lost the confidence to take on his man like that. Whereas Yilmaz has has been full of that. Um, you know, he's done that time and again. I mean, I've seen him score what I would consider one of the the goals of the season. Um, when I was sat. Next to um Wolf in the cup, deck for the Livingston game in the League Cup um quarter final when he just absolutely ran through the middle of them. And you can obviously talk about how poor they are, but that is a terrific goal that he scored. Um and that's the kind of confidence he's got. You you'll never get that out of Bournemouth. So I think my bigger concern would be if he's gone and we get the money, that's great. But are we then going to go and bring in another left back? Are we gonna revert? do Jean Sterling back to his more natural position and, and see if he works in there. I, I just don't know. I, personally, I wouldn't do that with Sterling because he's been doing so well in the midfield. It almost feels like we'd be missing out and having him there if we did move him back. So it's it's one of these kind of ones, time will tell, because we've had, particularly during the summer window there, there was one or two that we lost that I think. You know, on reflection, we kind of look back and go, might it be worth... Keeping them, I, I hope that Red Van doesn't become one of those players. Um, however, obviously, if he goes to to Verona, and whatever, then you know you wish him well and you wish him the best because I do think that Verona will be getting a pretty decent player. Um, all things considered, and he's still young enough that will develop and get even better, in my opinion.
1: Richie, what's what's your thoughts on this? In, in terms of, you know, we obviously don't know the full situation that there could be the player could be pushing for this, you know, maybe he's wanting to to move closer, closer to home. Um but in, in terms of what Connor's saying, I, I would find it difficult to accept if we did this, if the manager hasn't got somebody in mind to come in uh and and kind of replace him. You know, I I don't know if I'd be keen going with Sterling and Borna for for the rest of the season. And, and the reason I say that is Yilmaz was taking up positions in the park, clearly at the manager's instruction. That he wasn't saying to Borna, you know, he was he was moving inside. He was creating an overload in the middle of the park. Whereas when Borna played under Clement, he, he's he's never done that because he clearly realises that that's not his skill set. But Yilmaz did give you that, um, you know. If if it, if it is the case that he's going to move on, surely the managers get somebody lined up. You would think.
3: Yeah, I would have thought so. I mean, it's um it, in terms of the profile of player, I'd much prefer watching uh Ridvan and you know what he offers to the team over what Bourne has been able to offer of late. And I can't imagine for a second that this move's being considered without an alternative or or maybe even two alternatives already in mind. I think we yeah, we we were all sort of at the beginning of the season and we'll 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 touch upon this, I'm sure, in the sort of um Review of the first part of the season, but you know, Barisic was one of the players that came under some scrutiny for, um, you know, the lateral backwards passing, hugging the touchline. It it just all seems quite predictable. And when you're wanting to play with um wing backs as your um, sort of main source of going forward, that you need that sort of variation, or so dare I say it, sort of more of a modern style of play creating the different options like you said and and always looking to go forward and um and exchange a pass with somebody in the holding midfield and I think that certainly is something that um Yelmas was able to offer us more than Borna whether that makes him the answer I'm not so sure and it might just be one of those scenarios where we, we were longing for something different and we saw it in in patches, um, when he was when he got a run in the team, and let's not forget, he was he was unfortunate with injuries. There were times when he just started to get going, and then he was set back again. And obviously, he was um, controversially uh, left out of the European squad as well. Um, and we can, you know, we've all had our had our opinions on that. But I think ultimately, it, we won't really know um, in, until we know exactly who he's being uh, replaced with. We've seen some of the rumors. Um, he's one of only a few kind of saleable assets, I would say, in the, in the current squad. We haven't got a lot of them, particularly with the um, the form of some of the signings that we've made in the summer. And um, if it's a case that we're able to get our money back or make a small profit on him, and Clement has a couple of interesting players in the pipeline that suit his philosophy, then then I'm all for it. But as you said... It's very hard to answer. I, I can't contemplate a scenario where we're just cashing in and then we're going to see what we can do with Barisic and um and then Sterling, who who he's played um much more of his career on the right hand side. I think it's fair to say, even though we've we've seen him in this sort of midfield role looking very competent, I don't think I'd like to see a sort of a a Barisic and, and Sterling partnership to um to replace what we'd get from Yomas. so I'm sure there'll be somebody else coming in. Um, and there'll be the, the rumors will intensify, but um, yeah, it, it's not what I, I'm not going to be you know, incredibly sad to see him go, subject to getting somebody of, of a kind of profile
1: that Clement would like. Yeah, just on uh, you know, Sharpie's question there, I think the rumors are it's around about three million, uh, potentially that would be the fee. I think we paid roughly three point five or something like that um for him. So there might be a slight loss on that. And but well, um you know there's talk Josh Doig potentially. You know could you see some sort of negotiation there where you know they get Yelmas, we get Josh Doig? Would you be would you be happy with uh, with that sort of profile of player? Doig was a with a guy that I really liked to look at when he was at Hibs and was hoping that we would have made a move for when it was clear that he was he was leaving Hibs. What's your thoughts on and Josh Doig?
0: I was the same when he was leaving Hibs, I thought we could possibly we should possibly have gone for him. Um I don't know how he's got I don't know how he's been getting on at Verona. I, I know I mean I believe he's been playing. So if they've be, if they've been playing him mean, it strikes me as quite strange that they want to replace him with Elmas because if they're going to be spending I know that, I know they're a a, a Serie A team, but I mean, if they're going to be paying, what, £3 million for a, for a left-back, you would imagine they're going to play him. So, that would push Deutsch, Deutsch, um down the pecking order. So, whether he said, look, I want to go home, you know what I mean? I won't make life difficult for you, but I'll still play, but if you can get me out of here, then get me home. Um, as you say, Yomaz possibly wants to go closer to his home and to his Turkish home. Yomaz has also possibly been been told by the, the Turkish manager, listen, you in my thoughts for for the Euros and whatever, but in Scotland, I'm sorry, you are not going to pick you if you're playing there. So if you can get moved to a better league and be playing regularly, you know, you might. I don't know. I speculate that might that might be part of the reason for it. <clears throat> so, I mean, as 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 Richie was saying, it would be very it would be very strange if we let Yelmaz go without having a replacement lined up. And if that replacement's Josh Doyle, it would be interesting to see what the deal is. Would it be a straight swap? Would it be a swap plus cash? If there is a swap plus cash, which direction is the cash going in? Like are we getting it? Are they getting it? You know, I don't know what what the hell is Verona um value value. Are. I've got no idea. Absolutely no idea what anybody value, values values or you get. I believe from listening to the other um, other sources that there's a lot of um other clubs in, in English championship looking at them. Um, Torino are also sparkly, probably looking at them. Now if as he wants to get back to Britain, then Torino's off the table because that would be that would be daft. You wouldn't leave one Italian club to go to another if you're homesick. And I'm guessing that might be a reason for it because the boy seems to be doing okay out there. Um, haven't haven't seen any of them at all since he left Hibs. Didn't see much of White Hibs because I don't particularly watch anybody else. But I know he was a player that was well quoted for us, so I could see it happening. But it would be folly for us to to let Red Van go without having our replacements lined up. But as the boys have been saying in the uh, in the comments. You know, he's a sellable asset. We don't have many of them. We don't have many sellable assets that we can sell. You know, and without that, we could possibly, probably replace. But I, I expect Borna to go this window if we get, if we get a bit, if we get a, any kind of money in for him at all, and he's happy to go, I would, I would say he'll probably leave. But he might just sit tight. Borna might just sit tight and say, well, look, if somebody's willing to give the club five hundred grand, wait till June and give it to me, because he's out of contract anyway. But the club might force his hand and say, look, we're not going to play you if that's the scenario. So you will not be playing for Croatia because you're not playing for us. So he might we might be able to force that move if you like. Because there's no there's no way in the world that Bonner's getting a new contract. So if we can even bring in three or three or four hundred grand for him, that you know that would help. That would also get him off the wage bill, and he must be he must be one of the higher earners, given he's been here a long time and he's an established international player. So I think we're looking to bring in two left backs, so that would make it even more ridiculous that was sold young was and didn't have somebody else lined up to come in.
1: Yeah, I agree. And like I say, this is all rumour at the moment, but it does seem to be gaining a bit of traction out there. So certainly one to, to kind of keep an eye on and um, I'm totally agreement. I would, I, if it, If it does happen then we have to have a replacement in there but that that to me doesn't stop then the search for another left back because as well says I think Borner will will be on his way come come the summer um okay obviously there are other kind of rumours going out there I'm not going to spend a great deal of time going over every single one because we, we could potentially be here uh all day but let's 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 go on to then why we were here in terms of um uh, a, a kind of a review of the season, like say we were going to do of the season so far, we're going to do it all in a one. And then we thought, well, actually, no, why don't we split it uh, and cover what the, the kind of Michael Beal period. Um, and then, uh, let's like say, the guys will, will come back and, and, and finish off with, with come um I think what we'll try and do, and I know it's really difficult, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of, um, I'll try and ask some questions and try and get your thoughts as and what they were at the time, you know, it's easy now with hindsight to kind of like, kind of look at look at certain things, but um, I'll start then by just talking in terms of Michael Beal. We he'd obviously been he, the the previous November he'd got got appointed. Fair to say that I think there were some positives. Uh, there were also negatives. So positives being that we started to win games that we hadn't been winning under Geo, particularly away from home. Um, I think actually in the 23 games towards the end of that season, Michael Beal had more points than ange Poster Coglu, for example. So he, he had done a kind of decent decent job in at that point. He had Todd Cantwell and Nicholas Raskin came in, which I think the fans could get behind. Um, um, we... There was, a, I think, there was a kind of momentum in that, and a kind of optimism in terms of of signing targets, and we will talk about the summer window. Um, but negatives, it would. I think there was a kind of growing kind of feeling in terms of that when it came to the big games, it didn't get it over the line. So we lost a cup final, we lost a semi final uh, against Celtic. Yes, we did win against Celtic in the league, but that was a bit of a meaningless, a dead rubber game towards the end of the season. Um. Connor, coming to you. And if you think back to going into that summer period, where where were you at with regards to Michael Beal? Were you optimistic about what what could potentially happen? Did you have any concerns at that point, or did he have your backing?
2: Um, look, he had my backing as much as any Rangers manager who's there. Will always have my back and, you know, I always want them to do well. And and because the way we had sort of finished last season, um, you know, I had a reasonable enough belief that he could kick us on this year. Of course, the, the as you touched on there, the, the, one of the concerns was around the big games because to, to that point under him, we hadn't won those big games. Um, you know, we had a, an old firm at Ibrox, for example, where or two, three minutes away from winning that game. And I think that might have been, was that his first one? I think it might have been or his second one. Um, And we blew it. You know, we we threw it away by, you know, the the same kind of stuff we'd seen for a long time in terms of defending and stuff. And, you know, so there was a frustration there. My my, my main concern started to come with the transfers that we were bringing in. Um, And people can go back and and see this. I was a punter at the time and I had phoned in and the phone in. Um, and spoke about Lammers and Dessers when they were kind of announced that they were coming in and voiced at that point my concerns over the quality of these players that we were bringing in simply because these were two guys who were attacking players whose stats over not just one bad season, but over a couple of seasons didn't make, particularly Lammers more than Dessers, but Dessers as well. To me, the concern was they didn't make great reading for guys that were going to come in, and be Rangers strikers and obviously replace, um, you know Morelos and Cholak, who would obviously decided to let go. Which again, in hindsight, and hindsight being a wonderful thing, that was clearly a, a mistake, probably to let the uh, Cholak go. Um, so I definitely had my concerns, but you know, there was still that belief that well, he scouted these players, he's identified them. we've got to give them the chance to succeed and, and give our backing for that point but for game one at Kilmarnock, you know almost from the off you lose that that opening game, now listen you know, we all know that that lot across the other side of the city, they've been to Rugby Park twice and lost twice this season so I'm not saying that it's an easy place to go because McInnes has got them playing quite well at home but when you start the way we did and we didn't look more concerningly, any kind of a threat in front of goal in that game, we didn't really offer anything. It that that did start to make the wheels turn, but you know, as as you expect, we do we did go on a bit of a run and get a couple of results here and there. And so I think, yeah, initially you had that that faith in him. Um, of course, the other issue for me was the fact that I was always slightly uncomfortable with the way Michael Beal came to get the job in the first place. Just in terms of, we all knew at the time that, that Geo, sadly, his time was up. You know, the credit he had in the bank for getting us to the Europa League final was starting to drain because he was losing games he just shouldn't be losing. You know, he's losing away to St Johnston, which is, we don't lose the, those games. We just don't. Um, you know, in the St Mirren result as well, it, it just was piling on. But what I never felt helped him in any way was that weeks before Geo was sacked, and before anything, Michael Beale, who at the time was the Queen's Park Rangers manager, is sitting in the director's box, rubbing shoulders with, with board members and stuff. That has always that that always felt a bit of an uncomfortable look um for me. Um however I wasn't disappointed that he came back to the club because there was that intrigue about what's he gonna do. Next, can he kick on and do you know what we kept getting told? He was this great coach, great tactical mind. So that's what what I was expecting for that point.
1: Richie, to to pick up on that then, also the the point that RFC 72 has just made there, Um, Ross Wilson left in April of last year. Now, either the club weren't in a position um, to... Go out and appoint somebody to replace him straight away, or they were unwilling to do that at, at that point. But it left Michael Beale in sole charge, and also it, it was almost a, a role that he seemed to to relish. Now he's made some comments recently, which might go against that, but he was very keen to point out that he he wanted to lead in terms of our summer transfer business, he wanted to meet all the players, he wanted to look them in the eye all, all of that kind of narrative that, that, that you get um, given Ross Wilson's track record signing, and I don't think Ross Wilson was universally liked, let's say that, across the across the piece um, uh, by Rangers fans, where were you in terms of allowing a manager that that total control and transfers compared to the, the approach we're now going to see, uh, now that we've got a, a, a new director of football in place.
3: Yeah, <clears throat> well, th- this is kind of, it, it goes back to what you said at the start of trying to, you, you, hindsight's a wonderful thing, so it's it's really trying to, um, it, yeah, consider exactly how I felt at the time without the, the knowledge of how things have played out, and I, the, the part of me was pleased with it, because he was saying all of the right things. Um, I liked the the kind of old school, if you will, approach to your know, manager being able to select their own targets. We'd had frustrations with some of the uh, Ross Wilson activity, um, and I, yeah, it seemed like something a bit different. Um, I was quite excited by the number of players that were being linked with as well, and the you know the activity that the players that were leaving, of course, a number of big players into the end of their contracts and we it it just it felt during the summer of quite a fresh approach and um and and yeah I have to be honest it seems stupid now but I was quite excited by it um but I think that rather than the signings themselves I think it was just because I was just desperately wanting things to become a bit better you know and then I think that can sometimes get the better of you um it, it looks like a, a very poor decision, of course, and I'm pleased that we've moved back to a DOF or sporting director model. It, in terms of his comments, I, I think it's interesting because everybody jumped on, you know, his, his remarks about, you know, maybe he he was put in a position that he didn't want to be in, despite having said all of the right things. I think a lot of the things that he's done and the way it's played out. It it was his dream job. He he was he, he won a ticket for the lottery. Um, he, he was obviously. It, it looks to me like he was just telling everybody what they wanted to hear. I'm sure he was given the option of having a, you know, this greater level of control, or or maybe even it was encouraged because it, it suited the board at that time. Because they might not have identified a target, or you know for for whatever reason it might have suited them for that period for him to to take the reins there. And it's not likely that he was going to come out in any press conferences, and, <clears throat> any press conferences, and say, you know, you're not going to believe what these the, this lot have got me doing. It's absolutely ridiculous. So he, he was always going to put on that that kind of front. But if it doesn't work for you, then it, it it completely blows up. And you you know, it's it's hard to say after the event that you were you were given too much and this that and the other because ultimately that's you know that that's what he'd he'd signed up for. But it's it's also possible that he's He's learned from from the experience as well um, it, at, at, our, at our detriment, unfortunately. So, yeah, I, I, in answer to your question, I, I, I did allow myself to get a little bit carried away. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, um, with, with hindsight, yeah, we're, we're obviously on a much better track now. And it feels like there's a reason why a lot of the big clubs have player strategies and, you know, director of football models, because it's a huge job if you're having to take care of all these different departments.
1: Well, he was backed in the summer. You know, um, I I don't think it's a criticism that can be levelled at the board that he he was given a lot of money. Richie's talked about the fact that we were losing um, some big names and big players for us who some have maybe stayed a little too long. Um but in in, in terms of like a McGregor, your Morelis's, your Kent's, etc., these these were players that you know that, that that fans had grown to love, who'd put in big performances ov- over a number of seasons. But he brought in uh, a, a number of players so, you know, Danilo, Dessas, Lammers, Butland, Sima, Dow, Centes, Sterling, Balligan, all came in. Where Given the the players the adventure that came in, the players that left and the had you had Haji going out and loan and then Sakala, where were you looking at our transfer business? Were you happy about it? Um did you still think we were lacking in certain areas, or did you have that optimism
0: that which I think was spreading across across the support? Yeah, I was I was Quietly optimistic when you brought in players, players I knew nothing about. I mean, obviously we have heard the names, you know, Dessers, Lammers. As Connor said um, a few minutes ago, the the start the starts weren't great, but I mean, you, you had one of them was the the leading scorer in the in the first edition of the, the Conference League. You know, I mean, ten goals for final. That's in any European competition that that's decent goal scoring. So you got to think, well, in a decent team, then you know, the guy's going to score you goals. Um, I felt a little bit sorry for Michael Beale because. Ross Wilson had allowed well, I'm going to blame Ross Wilson because he was the director of football at the time has allowed a lot of our big players to run out of contract you know he, he lost a lot of big players at the same time for no money so he was hamstrung in that That the guard, he basically had to rebuild the whole team but I mean from from the first transfer window we had a year ago in, in the January window he brought in two players we all thought great they hit the ground running you know uh, Cantwell and Raskin had come in we well, were all we are all singing their praises saying great if that's the level of player he's bringing in, then you know we're on, a, we're on a surefire hit here, you know. But it was players that I hadn't heard of. The problem for me was it was it was the same rhetoric for them all. Every player was going to be a game changer, you know. He, ch- he chased the frontiers for months and months and months because he was going to be the game changer, you know. And then he came in and he didn't play him for whatever for whatever reason he wasn't getting a game, and you know he was saying, oh, he would he'd been tracking these players for two and three seasons. Um, knowing now what, well, knowing if we knew, knew then what we know now, you've got to wonder: Was he going off the reputation from the last time you saw him two or three years ago? Was that, you know, was that what he was using as as his deciding factor to say, well, I'm going to sign these guys because when I watched them two, 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 two and a half seasons ago, they were decent players. They were doing this and were doing that. You know, okay, they've maybe moved on. Careers haven't been great. So, but yeah, I mean, I was I was quietly optimistic. The thing that really got me though, and it's since we decided we were doing this, it's the, it's the one thing that I don't think was mentioned a lot at the time that really had alarm bells for me was the, was the, the pre-season that he had organised. Because obviously you've got to say, because there's no director of football in there, he has to be the man that organised the pre-season. Now, the pre-season games, well, they were glamorous because they were always going to be glamorous. But I can't help thinking, were they against too high a level of opposition? From,
2: you know, well, well I was going to
1: bring this up. Level? I was going to bring this up, so I'm really glad you've got, because that was actually my next point about pre-season. And I'm, I I kind of agree with you. It seems now to be a bit of a mantra now with managers that they really want to test their teams. And I get that. But is going straight into a game against Newcastle United, then Hamburg, then Olympiacos, and then going away to Hoffenheim, is, is, is there a a kind of thought process that actually, do you know what? It would maybe be quite good if you played some team of a lesser standing and you maybe put seven or eight goals by them just, you know, to to kind of build a bit of momentum. That Newcastle game, I remember, I mean, they were way behind us in their their schedule, but you noticed the difference. And Eddie Howe set them up to say, here's my first 11. I want 45 minutes from you. Run yourselves into the ground and they caused us real, real issues. So I, I, I'm I, glad you brought that up, because I've had that same feeling in terms of, I wonder
0: if he, if he got just the, the, the standard a bit wrong, gradually build it up. Well, for, for me, Stuart, so i come back in. For me, the, the Newcastle one was really strange, because that was Alan McGregor's testimonial. Right? Now, Alan McGregor, to my knowledge, has got, no, has got no dealings with Newcastle. Newcastle's not any part of his. His history or his career. I've, I've, I, would have, I would have expected somebody like Hull City, because he played with Hull City, you know, to come up and be the opposition for, and he left on decent terms with them, I think, you know, so it's not as if there'd be animosity there. And okay, Newcastle's going to fill the ground. They brought up a fantastic support, seven or 8,000, which was absolutely brilliant. But for McGregor's testimonial, we'd, we'd have filled it, supposedly, when we're playing, you know, the Rangers Rabble 11, but still a fill it's for, for Grieg's testimonial, you know, so I thought that was a bit strange. As you say, they were. You know they, they were behind us but miles ahead of us and behind us in in the the training but miles ahead of us in ability. The Hamburg game I thought was probably just about right because which coincidentally was the only game that we won because there's an affinity there you're going to get a crowd in. They're in this white Bundesliga so they're not a top German team at the moment. You know that's probably just about right. Olympiakos that that seemed to come out of nowhere that was really really strange. And Hoffenheim was a fantastic trip but they're a they're a very, very good Bundesliga team, who, as you say, would probably be better playing teams that we, had a, that we could probably have got a win against because winning's a habit, you know. And you want, yeah, you want to challenge the players, but you also want to, you know, you also want to give the fans something back, you know. It, I just think it was, it was too heavy a preseason. It was too, too high a standard a preseason. I'm not saying we should have been playing junior clubs or, club, or clubs from lower leagues, but it could have been probably a lot. Of, a lot more at Scottish football's level than, than what we played.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you know, B-Bab Bob said, "There, know, thanks very much for the, the the donation." And yeah, you know, tracing it back to the moment that Gerard left, and you know, we were we were ahead of Celtic at, at that point, and you can kind of trace it back from from there. Um, Connor, we then you know the preseason. I. I think it says a lot that Sam Lammers, with hindsight, was probably the standout player during, during pre-season. I actually really liked the look of, of Lammers at, at that time. But it took us into then Champions League qualifiers. And I think we knew we we would have to go through two qualifiers to, to get back to the Champions League. I think we would have been quite happy with the, the first draw when we drew Servette, uh, the, the Swiss side. But we made hard work of it. You know, it was it was a kind of tough watch, and I remember thinking at that point, and I was probably didn't want to admit it to myself, but I, I did have some worries in terms of the the level of performance that we'd seen in pre season, and then in those games, it, it was causing a bit of a concern. Whilst also telling myself it's still early and there's still not a lot of new players, but it, it it was a bit of a tough watch, and that that kind of new style of football that we'd been promised from
2: Beal, we weren't really seeing it? Yeah, I think I was fair to say. Um, it, it, just before I touch on that main point there with the pre-season thing, um, <clears throat> that's something we seem to do a lot of though because the year before, if you remember, we played Tottenham, we played Real Madrid. You know, again, for me, you can have one of those games in there, but it's that was still too high a standard even for, for getting that season. We still had new players... bed in then as well, but we just seem to like to turn up and and let's go and give ourselves games against the hardest opponents we can find at the time, when actually a game or two against a whole City or whatever else isn't a bad thing to do, either just to get minutes in the legs and get players, you know, like your your new attackers, for example, on the score sheet, although I'm pretty sure if memory serves, Sam Lammers did actually score in one of those pre-season games. Um, He scored against Newcastle, yes. Yeah. but on the central point about the qualifiers after that, I think there were definitely seeds of doubt, you could say, that were sort of sown in there a little bit with the Servette game because it, it was that it was that kind of way where we, at Ibrox we dominated that game. Servette offered absolutely nothing at Ibrox for me. They really didn't. And we got into a 2-0 lead, you know, and you're thinking, right, this is looking good, this, you know, let's just you know, go and kill this game off. Now, get that third goal. And it doesn't just kill the first leg, but it pretty much kills the tie overall because even though you're going to weigh there, unless you have an absolute nightmare uh, against the team that's without you, you're not going to concede four. And we just didn't do it. And we let them hang about in in the game for too long. And then, of course, you know, they get, um, was it the free kick, I think, from yep. from a mistake, from a challenge we don't need to make. And bang. You know they've got well, right Sam, Lammers had,
1: Sam Lammers had missed an open goal to make it yeah. 3-0 and then they yeah. immediately went apart, didn't they?
2: Yes, well, I was going to make that point as well, but yeah, I've just went slightly out of the order, but you're correct. Um, so obviously you miss that big chance, then you let them back in with that goal. Um, and that was always going to mean that going over there, it was going to then be a bit nervier than it ever had to be because the reality was they would have been absolutely delighted to get out of Ibrox that night, just the, the, the one goal behind, um, and, and would have fancied that they could level the tie up quickly at home and then make it difficult for us, which they did. Um, but in a lot of ways, the away leg was sort of a, a typical away performance um, f- for us in Europe o- of recent times anyway, um, because I think apart from obviously Bettis, which was outstanding, and, but prior to that, going to that point, I think part of the, like, the Dortmund game and maybe Red Star, Belgrade, we, we had had some sticky patches in, in the away games in Europe. We'd never really been blown away, and, you know, we got through the games anyway at home, but they did ca- cause us problems. But you did just, you know, more from, as I say, the first leg than the second leg, you did have that worry about our just how clinical we could be, our ability to kill a game like that off. Um, Because the thing it does as well, obviously, is if you can kill that game off in the first leg, it would have given more of an opportunity to explore maybe rotating the squad a bit more Do you put one or two other players in to get that exposure and that experience um, that, that you need. And as it was, obviously, we didn't have it. And then, of course, we moved on to the PSV game, which... To be perfectly honest, with when you look back on it, and I've seen the highlights a hundred and one times, the fact that we got a two each draw at home, that could so easily the way that game went for for spells, you know, that could have been anything as well Um, for both sides in that game because we had plenty of chances in that game uh, as we usually do at home, but so did PSV. They had um, a few real golden opportunities themselves um, uh, you know but I think I think that that result maybe gave us a bit of false hope in terms of well, we've got this 2-2 two, two result you know mirror image to the year before when we drew two each in the first leg and you just thought well do you know what we've done this before went over the last year got to 1-0 and get down the road and there was maybe that bit of belief that we had enough to just get over the finishing line and um, but we learned very, very quickly. I think in, in PSV we learned a a real sore sore lesson. Um that don't get me wrong, I do feel that the Betis game um and the, the Prague game in the Europa League, I can I kind of feel like we kinda of made up for slightly. Um albeit the less said about you know the trip to Cyprus, the better. Um but I think those moments it's costly for the club. As well, because last year obviously qualifying, we got you know what thirty, you know million pound in the bank just from getting there, and then okay, it was a not a great campaign, but you know I want to be playing in the Champions League all day long, like we all do. So that was a huge, I think, missing. I think the the confidence, it must have took a dip, the confidence in some of these players, particularly the new players coming in, who no doubt will have done some homework on Rangers and we've seen this is a club that's been into a European final, this is a club you know, that's been doing well in Europe over the last couple of years some of the players that were there as well not really covering themselves in glory with that one and I think that must have took a massive hit for the confidence um, in trying to build back f- for that as well um, and even for Beal as a manager because that's a steep learning curve for you in European football as a manager. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before I come to you, Richie, just a
1: big shout out to uh, one of our partners, which are Football Prizes. Um, Martin has put a link in the, the description for the show tonight. There's a competition running. Guys at Football Prizes have very generously put up a signed James Tavernier top uh, for, for you guys, the opportunity to win that. So please click on to the, to the link and have a look at Football Prizes when you get a chance. Uh, thanks very much for their ongoing support. Um, Richie Connors touched on it then, you know, we we go into a second leg with a bit of optimism. Um, I think that that that, that draw Ibrox, there were periods in that game where it's potentially the highlight of Michael Beals, certainly th- th- this season. Um, you know, some of some of our play during that that period. But we go to to, to Eindhoven and, and Wilfred, who would have been there, it, it falls apart very, very quickly, doesn't it? And and I'm, I think I'm a bit of a realist to know that we could play PSV every season and, you know, it's going to be a tough, tough game against them. Um, they looked as if they'd improved, but it was the manner, Richard, that, that we lost, No, you know, to, to lose 5-1. There was some, you know, a calamitous own goal from, from Connor Goldson. We looked, every set piece looked as if we, were con- we could concede goals. It, it was just a horrendous night at the office
3: yeah no it was and and as connor touched upon it, the, there were shades of that in the first leg as well particularly in the first half um we the, the, there were spells there when we were really under the caution and it, and it was two moments of sort of near individual brilliance that that got us the the, the two goals there and, and and admittedly you know it it almost turned into a game of basketball in the second half there. It could have easily gone three, one rather than two each, and then you know we could have been defeated if if some buts the, we'd seen from the performances um, towards the start of the season that you know it was possible that a team as explosive as p s v could could put this kind of score on us, you know particularly like we were talking in the build up to the games about. How border and Tav can be exposed by you know, being um, if they find themselves too high up the pitch. There's that ball in behind them all the time, and the um, PSV have got their sort of dynamic three up front that can you know, really clinically get to you. And it was just it, it was a horrendous night when yeah the the stuffing completely came out of the European campaign. You, one thing that I Found interesting, and I really didn't like it in the build up was the way that Bill was talking about the competition. It was almost like well we've we've got a free hit at the champions League and but we're already in a European competition, so yeah you know that that was the the narrative and, and i didn't what whatever he wants to say to the group of players or however he's actually feeling about it i mean that that might be one that he saves for the boardroom to say listen guys temper your expectations this might be a Europa League campaign it's just not what I wanted to hear when when we had what I felt was you know a fairly winnable tie or at least a tie that we had every right to be very competitive in um I I didn't like that at all and you know I, I think that not to um not to go too far on a tangent, but I think his handling of the media was, you know, was very poor throughout. But that, yeah, the 5-1 the, the in the manner of that was really where things, um, where things began to unravel. And, and I'm sure you're going to take us on to the following game, which was where was, was my kind of real sort of vote of no confidence at that point.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the league season had started then and, and... These games and Connor touched on the fact that we went to Rugby Park. And I think firstly, you know, a team selection came out where the player that we had got really excited about over the second half of the, the previous season and Todd Cantwell um was on the bench. It seemed a bit strange. Don't think we've ever really kind of got to the bottom Look, a manager's got a the prerogative, they can they can select the team. We could still be playing now um uh, in terms of that, that game wolf and, and probably wouldn't have got the goal we get we get a sucker punch and already that kind of optimism that fans had went into the to the season there was already supporters starting to make grumbles that they don't see this this ending well. It, it, it was a really, really poor performance that day at, at rugby park.
0: Yeah, it was it was it was ridiculously poor. I mean, as you say, we could still be playing now. We probably wouldn't have scored. Um, it was it was just such a such a body blow. After you know, this this was the sort of game when when Beal came in. This was the sort of game that he was winning, as you touched on at the start. You know, he came in and he was winning games that Van Bronkers hadn't been winning because they away from under Van Bronkers was fairly poor. But Beal was coming in. And he was he was wasn't blowing these these other teams away, but he was he was winning the games. we were getting, we were getting positive results. Then we went to the Rugby Park. We couldn't kick our own arse. I mean, we were we were dreadful. No, Todd Cantwell. I mean, Cantwell had been his talisman, if you like, since he brought him in in January last year, and uh, he came in and just nothing. Just he wasn't, he wasn't even there now. You've got to perceive that he was saving them for the for, for the survey game at Ibrox on the in the midweek, but you've got to you've got to conclude, knowing what we know about survey, that. You shouldn't, shouldn't even be thinking about that because we could probably beat the without Todd Campbell on the team because they're, as scorer said they were they weren't they weren't a great side because the Swiss, you know, I mean they're, they're not particular, particular like that, particularly that good particularly where we've been in Europe. So yeah, that was that was a very strange one. The whole start to the season was, was was really poor. The football wasn't great either, and the the killer game on top of the pre season which we touched on. when We only beat Hamburg, you know, losing to Newcastle, losing to Panathinaikos you know, the drawing, they're drawing half of When really we should have got beat, you know, um, go to Kilmarnock, you don't, Rangers teams don't, Rangers teams that win things, don't lose at Kilmarnock, it's as simple as that, you just don't, you just don't do that, and yeah, okay, they've, they've, they've come on, they've, they've they've done well this season, they've, they've beat the other lot twice at Rugby Park, and that's, that's tremendous, but, I mean, now you don't, a Rangers team with that amount of new players, that amount of so-called good talent, because I mean, Michael Beale certainly talked a good game, you know, I mean, he, he could probably sell sell sand to the Arabs, you know. He 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 talks a very very good game. I mean, for me, he said far too much. And the current manager doesn't say enough, you know. Although having said that, a broker said less than than uh, than Clement, but that's another story. But you no, know, Kamarnock, poor. Then obviously we got back on the horse. We beat we beat Ibrox. We then went on to beat Livingston, and then we went over to Switzerland, and we well, were luck, probably lucky to dodge still being in the competition. Yeah, we did that, and we we got a victory, as you say, Livy at home. We
1: we we went to Dingwall, we beat Ross County, uh, and then Connor. It's the first Old Firm game uh, of the season, and you're coming up against a Celtic side that um, had injuries, uh, a makeshift back four. Uh, I think would be fair to say, and we've seen that <laughs> recently as well. Um, and a team are probably under a bit of pressure. You no, know, Rogers was under pressure at that that time in terms of they did some poor results, they'd been knocked out the, the cup, etc. Um and yes, we had a goal disallowed, which to this day I, I still think is a perfectly, perfectly good goal. And you know, these are the small things that could potentially change, you know, they just could go on and, and, and win that game, and you know, you you suddenly you you build a bit of momentum. But I think overall I think, as a group of fans, we were surprised at how timid and negative we were in that game. The tactics to stand off and allow, like say, a makeshift back four and, and Calvin McGregor to 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 kind of run the show. And of course, then we, we get hit with a sucker punch just before before half time. At this point, do you remember? Because I think that result made up the minds of a lot of people Um, mm. at, at that point. You know, it was our, our second second defeat uh, of the season already in the league on the back of losing uh, losing out on, on Champions League qualification. Uh, had you made up your mind then, or were you still, it's still too early to make that decision?
2: No, I think at that point, I, I hadn't really you Know fully turned against him just yet. I think probably what helped him, um, sort of cover it up a little bit was the fact that he could point to being unlucky to have a perfectly legitimate goal ruled out. Um, you know, I know if poor officiating against us in a Celtic game, who'd have thought it was? Um, you know, it's so you had that to almost kind of. Hide behind his own feelings to some degree, not entirely, because of course, as you see, you know, it was a very timid performance, and and the goal we conceded was just, just criminal defending, but it it, it epitomised a lot of the problems that we were having, you know, when it came to the defensive shape at that point as well. And to be fair, that we're still having now because that very same kind of, okay, that one's more of a mistake, it's sort of flick back, um. From the midfield, I think um, For just a sort of long ball And, you know, Kiel goes Somehow found himself In the middle of the year, two centre-backs Who, th- the space between the two I mean, you could have fit A double-decker bus in it, it was ridiculous The space between the two, I mean, we've seen that Since then, of course, we've seen it at Audrey With Mayowski, even in more recent times So that's not necessarily gone away But we'll touch on that in the next show um, But it was then The idea that we offered nothing after that it's the idea that we're playing at home in front of you know 50 plus thousand of our own fans at Ibrox and we've not used that atmosphere to our advantage and we've not gone and got the you know a goal to get back into it. And then because I think if we had equalized in that game, I think we'd have gone on a minute because I think that back line that Celtic had were there for the taking, much like the back line they had at Celtic Park recently, they were there for the taking and we just didn't you know we didn't take advantage of it. And I think <clears throat> the person in the pudding because, you know, two of those boys who started in that game, you know, Nirovski's only just got back into their team and Bielka has scarcely been seen. Um, you know He's made one or two appearances, I think, for them since then, but not many. So, you know, it was a missed opportunity. Um, but one of my problems with, with Michael Beal when it came to me, the, the, the old Firm games but that one and the ones last season as well, it never seemed to get under his skin. It never seemed to annoy him and anger him the way that it, it did, does for us as fans and the way that it used to do for the likes of Ali McCoist when, when he was um, you know managing against him, or Walter Smith moreover when he was there, and, and, and some of the better, you know, like Suness and that, the better managers we've had. It just never seemed to, even Gerard seemed to get it more than Bill when he was there. He seemed to have the, passion about it, at least up his sleeve, and that might be because he came through Merseyside, Derby and stuff, and there's an element of that there, but that was always my frustration about him, he kind of just accepted the defeats and went, okay, well, we'll move on, we'll learn from it, and we'll we'll do this and come back the next time, and it, you never really felt like you did learn anything, and I think that was just, that was probably the bigger frustration, and how reactive he was in those moments, because we can't take away the fact that a lot of the time he never changed it, never made subs particularly in those big games when it wasn't working until it was too late for them to have any kind of impact either. So, I, yeah, I, I wasn't there yet in terms of Beal out, but that might in part have been because there were certain things in that game out with his control, like the decisions for the officials that you can kind of go, well, he can almost get a pass for that. But it was very much, it was in a sugary peg at that point.
1: Richie, are you surprised he survived that? Um, I, I I'm a big believer that when uh, the majority of Rangers fans have made your mind up, their mind up about you, um, you know, as a player, there's potential that you can get back in. We've seen some players do that, but the majority don't. I think with a manager, it's you know, he could have won the next five games, but as soon as we drop points again, he he, he could have. He, the fans would have just reacted. And we always did see that I mean, that's kind of how it played out because, you know, we then won our next two games and then we, we threw in a performance against Aberdeen, which ultimately cost him his job. But are, are you surprised that the board didn't react straight after the Celtic game? Given what we were seeing, um the style of play, you know, this was real horseshoe stuff at times. It The... the the promise of this free flowing high press football. We, we we barely ever ever saw it. Are you surprised he survived after that game?
3: Yeah, very surprised. Yeah, not not least um because of the result, but yeah, the, the nature of the performance, the the decisions that he made, the you and, and that was certainly the like yourself, I had my kind of reservations uh, around Savet. Uh, not so much in pre-season, I was still kind of thinking, well, difficult opposition, team are gelling, all that you know, the usual stuff that we were talking about at the time. Um, but it, it just wasn't getting any better, and it, the way he was chopping and changing was really concerning me as well. It, it didn't seem to know his best eleven or or, or their positions, and um, and his in-game management was so poor. I thought so. Um, the the sixty-minute substitutions, the Re- refusal to, to act upon what we could all see um as games were being played out. Um, so yeah, that's the point at which I was expecting that the, the trigger might have been pulled. And I, I always remember Kerr saying a few times in the sort of pre-season, we're spending quite a bit of money here and he he's not it, this needs to start going well very quickly or else he's going to be under extreme pressure. And that kind of stayed with me, but it was always clear that he, even if he wasn't getting the, the the chop after that result, which of course he didn't, like you said, he he was on it. It was a, it was your next game, next defeat, next terrible performance that, that might've been five, six, seven, eight games down the line. It, it was always coming for him. And, um, yeah, and ultimately, yeah, it, it did. It came for him on that that Sunday evening after the um, the defeat to Aberdeen, at Ibrox, and uh, yeah. But but to answer your question, I think they'd have been well within their rights to to have pulled the trigger after that disastrous display um, in the defeat to Celtic. Uh, but, it, but then part of me, after they didn't do that. I was then thinking, are, are they just going to hold on here? I I almost went sort of full circle and trying to second guess what they were going to do. I thought, is this going to just get to the ridiculous stage where they've made this? Because you, you can look at it the other way and say, well, they've, they've invested in him so much that are they just going to just, you know, li- listen to whatever um, nonsense he's feeding them in the same way that he was with some of the press conferences. But, you know, it's... Um, it it happened it had to happen after that game and um yeah exactly gallon yeah he'd he'd lost like i I don't know i mean even you can talk about pre-season and some reservations that some people had or like some people seem to think that he was a bad manager from when his mom was cradling him in the hospital you know you, you get all kinds of um these takes but ultimately Like there was nobody in any of the WhatsApp groups that I'm in that that was sort of saying, "Give him a bit more time. This is going to work." And and that's when um, you know that your your P45s in the post, isn't it? Absolutely.
1: No half-season review would be complete without mentioning that after that Celtic game, then Kerr made an appearance on a well-known bookmakers' fan denial. Uh, series by calling him a, a Cockney car salesman. and I, I'm not sure Martin's ever got the royalties for that enough, but um, that was a bit of lighthearted fun. And what was a, a kind of difficult period? Uh, well, like I say, the, the Aberdeen game, um, chances galore Rangers created um, that day. The game should have been out, out of sight, but possibly some of the worst defending I've ever seen from from a Rangers team that day. All all three goals were absolutely horrific to watch. And at that well, I mean I, I would say probably uh, you know when the third goal goes in, Michael Beale probably already knows the
0: right the writings on the wall because
1: Ibrooks was making uh his feelings known uh, that day.
0: Yeah I think he probably he probably realised after after the second goal went in because after that horrendous Celtic defeat you know, as as Gallant said in the comment we just brought up that he, he lost all the fans that day. That was it. The whole lot there was I didn't speak to a single Rangers fan that thought he's got time. Every single one of us said next defeat, he's gone. If the next defeat's next week, next month, turn of the year, he's gone. It's the next defeat. Unless he can get to the January window and any other side of that, you know, without without dropping any more points, which really isn't gonna happen. Uh, then he redeemed himself somewhat when he beat when he beat Bettis. Yeah. Ibrox, I mean, that ult- that ultimately led to his uh, winning led us the winning of the group and you know getting straight in the last sixteen, so we'll have to thank him for that. That's, that's something that you did. How how he managed to do that in the in the form the team was in, I've got absolutely no idea. But I mean I mean back to that Aberdeen game, I mean they probably did Rangers a favour by beating us that day because it got rid of Michael Biel, because he was only a feet away from getting, you know, as you say, from getting jettisoned. But the first, if you remember that game, the first 25 minutes, Aberdeen couldn't get out of their own box, never went out their yep. own half. It was like the Alamo, and we just couldn't score, which probably sums up Michael Beale's tenure in charge of Rangers, made loads and loads of chances, couldn't score goals. And that's ultimately what cost him. Because really, if we had taken even twenty percent of the chances we made in that first twenty five minutes, Michael Beale would possibly still be in a job at Rangers. Because we would have absolutely steamrolled Aberdeen that in the bottom a lot more time. You know, because we were the them, we'd probably put six past them, but we just couldn't score. And then, as you say, defending was was laughable. I mean, the goals they scored because Aberdeen. I mean, we say that that Celtic team that beat us was a poor side. That Aberdeen team were a shambles, and they were a shambles then. I mean, their manager was complaining they're playing too many games with Europe. They can't train. They can't do this. They were getting beat by everybody. They were dropping points all over the place. You know, and they came and beat us. I mean, after that defeat, if I hadn't been for the fact that they that they beat us, they'd have been bought by the league. That's how bad Aberdeen were at that time. You know, and. After the weather, the, the early storm that we the they couldn't get their own half. They made us look very, very ordinary, and he had to go after that. He just he just had to. I mean, as, as the boys were saying after that Celtic games when he should have gone. Yeah, I I, I agreed. Connor, we'll, we'll, we'll
1: start wrapping up um conscious time. Uh, but you know when we look back at his tenure, then he he goes away with actually the second highest win rate. Of any Rangers manager, only Ali McCoist has a higher win rate. But when you consider that um, a lot of Ali's games were, were in the lower divisions, he's got a win rate of seventy two point one percent. So when you actually on the face of it look at at that, um, it it just shows sort of that really tough world that of a of an old firm manager, isn't it? In terms because you're going to be judged on those big games, which we weren't showing any signs that we were going. Um, we're going to win, and uh, a style of football that had been promised that wasn't materialising. Richie touched on the fact that press conferences, you know, saying so- something one week and then there was a contradiction the the following week, possibly offering too much information. You know, January transfer window. Remember, we were, looked as if we were going to have signings straight in the door, then we were you no, know, it was right at the tail end. We finally got them. It, it was, it was a board making, it, what feels like now when you look back on it, a decision to appoint them because they knew them, and they needed to bring, bring somebody in. Um,
2: it it just didn't work, did it? No, and I think that's it. Uh, you know, it was at the time when he came in. It was clear that. The board fancied him. He'd been there before, as you say. It was a, and their minds was probably a reliable set of hands because they thought, well, we know what he's about. We know what he brought as a coach. Um, you know, surely can bring as a manager. I think in a lot of ways you can put it down to saying, had Michael Beal had a few more years under his belt at QPR or, or whatever else and had more experience, and then come in, then it could have turned out better for him because he'd have been better for having. That experience behind him, but he, for him to come in so soon in his tenure, come in in a controversial way in terms of the way he left QPR. Um, you know, he had seemingly already turned down Wolves prior to that, and then the minute we came in, you know, he was he was off, um, and then everything. Obviously, that I touched on earlier about even the circumstances him um, how he got appointed, and it's just one of those ones that it might be a case to to you know he come in too in his managerial career. But uh, as the, the commenter said earlier, you know, Rangers managers aren't necessarily judged on win rates. It's about winning trophies. And the one thing you can say is that Michael Beale, when he first came into the job, had virtually the same opportunity that Philip Clamont had to win a trophy in terms of he came in and inherited a squad that were already in a semi-final of a cup competition. Now, some would say, well, he had the harder game because obviously he had to play... Um, You know, against Celtic and stuff in that cup, but ultimately he had the chance to very early on in his career solidify a piece of silverware that would automatically buy you a bit of goodwill and good grace amongst the fans. And unfortunately for him, he just didn't do it. Um, he could talk the talk, but hence the Cockney Galsales, he could definitely talk the talk, he still can. I mean, I obviously, as a Newcastle fan, was delighted to see him getting gubbed for Sunderland at the weekend. And he committed, you could literally copy and paste. Half the interviews he's done these time was in that post match he done for Sunderland about how they're going to learn the lessons. It's a good learning curve, and everybody will be better for it. So you can sell you a good a good game, um, but I just think, yeah, a case of too soon for me. And arguably, even the team around about him wasn't good enough because I don't think Neil Banfield done him many favours when he came out and spoke to the press either. So mm. though he had to go when he did, and just to be very clear, because I've had a few people have a me in the chats. After the Celtic game, I wasn't sitting here saying, "Oh, you know, absolutely be in." I just wasn't totally screaming the house down saying he had to go. But when the Aberdeen game came, and you can go and watch that post-match reaction. I was on with Martin that day, and um, I can't remember who else it was I was on with, and it was a lively one. It was a very, uh, Craig it was, and none of us were happy that day. We wanted him sacked by the time Martin finished his opening spiel, you know, because at that point it was game over. So, yeah, I think it was just a case of too soon, and not experienced enough a manager for
1: so the the job. He got too much for him. Richie, Wolf any kind of final thoughts from from yourselves on on Bill's tenure? Um, should we just be thankful that he's given us Jack Butland? Yeah, well, he's the standout
3: signing, isn't he? I think yeah, it's it's difficult, like like we said at the start, because we've you know, we've seen how it's all how it's played out. He, I don't think he's he hasn't obviously gone into it wanting to do a bad job. That's why I I'd hold the the board and those that um, made the decisions, you know, j- just as accountable as him, really. And whatever happened with the level of responsibility for for players and the lack of a DOF and we'll never know the the truth of that. But what we do know is it's a total disaster. And, you know, it's potentially put us back some time if we've got no money to to bring in additional players. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not going to be a period that any of us uh, look back on without, you know, uh, real sort of re- regret. And you, you're bound to kind of, yeah, scrutinise the decision and um, I, I wonder how they, they came to it. But as Connor alluded to, I, I think there was something in that. You know, Wolves were sniffing about. Um, they had that relationship with him, and uh, and it it felt like the right thing to do at the time. It will be interesting to see how he gets on. Um, I, I suspect he won't do much better at Sunderland, but he's still so well respected as a coach. Like I I speak to a lot of people in the Liverpool area that think he's absolutely phenomenal as a coach, and he's you know he's got such a. Good reputation with youth setups, at, you know, in, in Brazil and at Chelsea, Liverpool. So I, I don't know, but it's a very different job, isn't it? And maybe you know, it, maybe that's where he's more suited, you know, working as part of a team rather than being the the head honcho. But uh, yeah, just the, thank God that we've got a, a better manager at the helm now, and um, and we can sort of draw a line under that period of the season. Well, for you,
1: any thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think I think Richie nails it there, I think. Um, he's probably a very good coach. He's To me, he was the cheap option by the board. Um, it looked like they got away with it to start with when he came in and, you know, we did well, but he lost the big games. Um, let's be honest, he'd only been a manager for, what, 16 games at QPR before he came to us. The thing that got everybody going was the fact he turned down Wolves, the fact that Wolves were interested in him when he'd only, when he'd only done a, a dozen or so games at QPR. Um, no experience at that level no experience of managing players in, in big, big games um, and for, for me, looking at looking at his, his entire tenure as a, as a whole, it was the cheap option, it didn't work um, the, the red flag the red flag should have been there when he turned up in the director's box that day, when we played, when we played Aberdeen, before Gio got the sack um, he maintained he was only up for a week a pre-arranged weekend with his mates in which case, just go into the stand, just get a ticket, and go into the stand. Don't sit in the director's box, you know. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I was lucky enough to be in the director's box that day, and I was delighted to see him. Yeah, my daughter got a his photo, a his photo take one and all that. Um, but just no, he just he was the cheap, he was the cheap option. I think it it didn't work. I don't think it will work for him at Sunderland. I think he is a very, very good coach. Um, I don't particularly think he's a very good man manager because. The current manager, which we'll get to on when the boys do the other pod, I think it's from Thursday, is working with the same players, and he's getting a tune out of exactly the same players, more or less, one or two of them, and obviously not, but he's getting a tune out of the same players, and you notice that that uh, Philippe Clement has a word for every player he substitutes. Bill didn't even speak to me, took them off, he just let he just let them go, you know. So it's my man management skills. I don't, I, obviously, I, ha, I haven't, I wasn't, I haven't been at the ground with him there, whatever. So I don't really know, but it sounds like his man management wasn't particularly good. And because he was doing everything else, his coaching would, would have been suffering as well. So, nah, it's just a, a bad choice. Bad choice but the board, bad experiment. Didn't work. It, set, it has definitely set us back because he spent an awful lot of money on players that haven't worked out. That can happen to any manager. The problem we've got is, which is why we're talking about possibly selling uh, Yilmaz, we don't have the players he's brought in for big money. We're not going to get them the money back on. We're not going to be able to sell them lammers and... Dessers and guys like that. if we if we get rid of these guys, it'll be on loan. We won't be able to sell. Them. Nobody's going to give us the money back, particularly yeah. not for the wages that they'll be on, and they're on long contracts. So, we are hamstrung be all that. So, experiment that didn't work. Um, I'll never, I'll never kind of really criticize a Rangers manager too much because it's a job I'd, I'd love to do and I couldn't do. The result against. Uh, it's ultimately helped us win, win the European group for which I thankful. almost be thankful to him for but that PSV performance I can never forgive that that was just horrific
1: Yep uh, A big welcome to Super Sal who's become a YouTube member appreciate that thanks for doing that um, okay gents look, I'll leave it there um, not an easy pod to do but you know I think it is it is useful to kind of kind of go through um, with a a bit of hindsight in in terms of these things. So I appreciate Wilf, Richie and Connor taking the time um, to to join us. Um, As Wilf just mentioned there, I think a few of the guys will be back on Thursday, I believe. They're going to just carry on from where we left off. So with um, a wee bit of Stephen Davis uh, in between a a result and, and Cyprus and then some good stuff. To, to talk about uh, from when Philip Commons come in. Hopefully you've enjoyed this, folks. Like I say, he's just trying to give you some content during the the winter break. Um, and um, yeah, like and subscribe the podcast, share around if if you haven't already done so. That would be greatly appreciated. But uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll speak before,
0: soon. Before we run away, Stuart, it was It was good to bump into Sal before the command game. He was uh, diving into hospitality, if I remember, so I hope you enjoyed that. And just to tell everyone, if they didn't see it in the comments, that there's a Rangers women's show coming on in 17 minutes, because this has gone on about at 9 o'clock, so my <laughs> message is going to crack up, cause, but here we go. <laughs> so, yeah, nine, 9 o'clock, we're back on with the women's show. Uh, Picking the bones out of yesterday's 12 nothing cup win in Inverness and talking about the cup draw, which was made at tea time. So we'll see you all then. Excellent. Good stuff. Well,
1: you know, you'll get paid overtime, I'm sure. Uh, the boss will sort that out for you. But folks, yeah, thanks very much for joining us and we'll speak to you all soon. Cheers.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.